0: Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Aggie Hoops Weekly, and it was not a great week. Blake and I are going to talk about the home losses to LSU and Tennessee, we're going to grab joy where we can find it, and we're going to try to piece together the rest of this basketball season best we can. Let's roll.
1: Welcome back to Aggie Hoops Weekly. I'm Blake, and as always, I'm joined by my good friend David. The Aggies had a couple of top 25 teams coming to Reed Arena this week, including the number one team in the country, and came out of it 0-2. So, David, where are we at now?
0: So this is the part of the pod where I usually run for a couple of minutes. I talk about my overall thoughts about the week, the season, yada, yada, yada. This week can be summarized much more quickly than that. Uh, this roster is not capable of beating good opposition that plays well. That's really all this boils down to for me. We had two really good teams come to to Reed Arena, the best team in the nation, and another really solid team that's white hot, and they both played well. And when that happens, we just we're not construct our roster's not constructed to win those games. So that's where I fall.
1: Yeah, I will say it was really cool to see some good basketball played at Reed. LSU came in looked looked pretty good. Tennessee looked outstanding. Uh, I was proud of the way the Aggies hung in. Gave good effort. I know we've had this discussion on moral victories, but the fact of the matter is, this is a young team. You're you're playing for the future right now. You're just trying to get guys experience, trying to get guys minutes, because you're two-thirds of the way in. I think everybody right. sees the direction this thing is headed right now, so... At this point, you're just you're just trying to get guys some run and see who, who's going to step up to the challenge and, and step forward into a leadership role.
0: You know what? Let's let's have this conversation now. We we're going to hit that later, but I think this conversation is more interesting than me walking through what was two double-digit home losses. I think it's an interesting conversation to have, which is what are we playing for for the remainder of the year? We're not going to the postseason short of a miracle SEC tournament victory. So what is there to keep the casual fan engaged? I think you nailed it. It's growth. Watching the young guys, watching them develop, watching a team that, despite some of its shortcomings, is playing hard. That's what's keeping me coming back, at least. I think there's enough to pull the casual fan back in as we hit the part of our schedule where we're not just playing the Giants every single, every single game. We've had a pretty rough stretch of it, to be honest, up to this point. I think, Blake, five of our next six are teams either at or below 500 in SEC play, so it might be about to get better. But you're right. You look for the growth. You look for positives and try to support the guys that are still playing hard.
1: That's exactly right. And I think you're seeing the evolution of of a couple of players. I think you're seeing some guys, and we'll talk about this later, but I think you're seeing some guys step into some interesting roles. You're seeing some some changes to, to certain players' games, and I, I think the, in some cases these are changes for the better, so... It's You just want to get those minutes, get guys out there, get get the young guys comfortable. I think that that's a, a really big key to what we have left on this season.
0: I agree, and I'll go ahead and hit the games real quick. There's not a ton to get lost in here, but I'm just going to set the tone so when people hear us talking about what happened this week, there's at least some context. The LSU game can really be summarized, Blake, by Tremont Waters, who is an All-SEC first-team guard. Uh, he controlled this game. It's the best, I would say, Blake, the best single effort by an opponent we've seen this season. Uh, He had 36 points on (laughs) 6 of 10 shooting from beyond the arc. He was the best player on both ends of the floor, bar none, for for the full 40 minutes. I would say the only somewhat interesting thing about this game is that the halftime score was... 37-36 37-36 LSU. The math enthusiasts among you will note that that leads to a final score of 74-72, which we had one of those not too long ago in November. Uh, and to pull that thread even further, LSU actually did end up with 72 points. So the final score was LSU 72, Texas A&M 57. They pulled away with a little fuss in the second half. And kudos to the Tigers. Scoring 72 points in College Station was enough for a victory this time. The other game that we had this week was number one Tennessee Volunteers coming to town. Uh, Interesting note about this game, it actually didn't start on TV because one of the Big Ten games was running late and one of the SEC games was running late on the SEC network, which would have been the alternate. So A&M was actually in ESPN3 land against the number one team in the nation. And by the time the game got on regular TV, it was almost over. Tennessee jumped out to a 28-9 to lead. They blew the doors off of us. It was one of the most clinical, efficient, brutal offensive shooting displays I've ever seen. Uh, I think they didn't miss but one or two shots in the opening eight to nine minutes of the first half. But to our credit, we came back with a 10-0 run to at least make it somewhat interesting. We turned that 28-9 to 28-19. And Blake, we continued to play Tennessee well enough. We didn't slow them down, but we had a good offensive performance for 30 out of the 40 minutes in this game. With well, 12 minutes remaining, we're down two it's 60-58, to 58, and it felt like something special might be brewing at Reed Arena, and it wasn't. The ten- Tennessee did what good teams do. They shut the door. They they cranked up the defensive intensity. We were no longer getting looks at as good of a rate as we were before. Uh, and by the time we were all done, Tennessee ended up with a 93-76 victory. I do think the 17-point deficit is slightly unfair to us, given how well we shot the ball. But that's how it went down this week. Uh, there's not really much stretch time or important possessions down the stretch to discuss. It was just kind of was what it was.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think that the, the most impressive stretch in the entire week was that 20-6 to 6 run that A&M went on to get the game back to a, a competitive level against Tennessee in that first half. I was questioning whether they had it in them once again. Does this team have, have the makeup of a team that's willing to fight in a situation like that where Tennessee is just hitting – everything that they want and AM came back and, and made a great run and got themselves back in the game so I, I was quite impressed with the Aggies ability to fight to get back in that game they they played great uh, second half was was good up until about seven minutes left so uh, and I think that there's some things we can talk about there I there was Time management and game management issues that I had with that, but all in all, I think you've you've seen some good things from the team this week in terms of individual players. Yeah, you you're looking for moral victories and just trying to find growth and development like we've talked about, but I think you saw some really positive things this week.
0: I think so. I think there's there's something to uh, something to take away this week for sure. I do want to mention the the Tennessee shooting display. I don't know Blake, when the last time you saw a team come to read or in and shoot that well, or really the last time we saw anyone shoot that well. Uh, but Tennessee was 31 for 42 inside the arc. That's a 74% clip, and they were nine for 20 from beyond the arc, 45%. Uh, they got to 93 points, Blake, by going four for four from the line. Normally, if you get to 93 points in a college game, you're getting to the line constantly and you're draining most of your free throws. This was just a barrage of regular shots. It was uh, it it felt overwhelming at times. Um, one note I want to bring up is that the least efficient player they had on the court was Admiral Schofield, who had 14 points on seven for 14 shooting. That that's was inc- the word. That's yeah. incredible. That's the worst offensive player they had. Uh, Of the guys who got more than five minutes, that was the worst offensive player they had. Everyone else was better or significantly better across the board shooting. So normally there's one bad effort that spoils the bunch. Literally everybody was hitting. There was nowhere. You couldn't funnel the ball to anyone and feel safe. It It was unbelievable.
1: Yeah, there's, here's an interesting comparison I was thinking about. So you go back to the beginning of the season, going on the road to Gonzaga. Yes, it's a road game versus a home game. But we're talking about AM is have is playing two teams that have been ranked number one in the country this season. Yeah. Interesting challenges in both of them. I think you've seen some good development. a and did a really nice job because you saw, uh, against Gonzaga, you saw a team that, did exactly the the blueprint was almost the same. A team that just played really well and in in the beginning of the season AM didn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. This time they fought back, but I mean I don't know what you're gonna do with that kind of shooting performance, because Tennessee is really good. I would actually venture to say I think Tennessee is head and shoulders above Gonzaga, and that's not a knock against Gonzaga. I think Duke and Tennessee are are neck and neck pulling away from the pack this year because those are two outstanding teams
0: Gonzaga had a clinical efficiency of their own but Tennessee's was mixed with this raw athleticism that was almost jarring to see right normally a team of a team of athletes a team of rangy 6'8 to 6'10 guys isn't that brutally efficient on the offensive side of the ball it was almost jarring right it was like what was happening didn't jive with what my eyes were seeing it was six nine swingmen all over the place and all of them could do everything it was you're
1: used to Kentucky and having bad turnovers and you know disorganized play and things like that guys trying to be a little selfish and Tennessee had none of that they were just brutal in their execution
0: one other thing I want to note about the way Tennessee carved us open is there were times Blake that our zone defense got cut apart by some pretty basic concepts. And you and I have had this exact discussion before where simple things like overloading or running a guy down the... Ba- you know, they would they would kind of rotate the zone one direction and then flash a guy down the baseline for a wide-open corner three. The sort of thing that's just kind of like conceptual zone offense, the sort of things that can work if they're executed correctly. It's frustrating to watch that happen to us when we play zone, and we never seem to do that to other people playing zone. It's... I don't know. It's I'm not describing myself well, but I feel like these are there are agreed upon things you can do to get a good look against zone defense. And I haven't seen it from us as often as I've seen it done against us this year.
1: And I don't think that's just this year. I think that that's kind of been a common running theme uh, the last few years. Last year, maybe was a bit of an exception to that just because you had some good, talented upperclassmen who had that court vision and, and smart awareness who could kind of pick those things apart. And you had a freak of an athlete, in uh, Robert Williams on that back line, who could mm-hmm. who could do some things that that would open a zone up. But but yeah, I think it's been kind of a consistent running theme for for Billy Kennedy offenses that they just don't do well in trying to pick apart a zone, uh, or don't adhere to some of those those natural tenets of of playing offense against a zone. And some of the some of the they do tend to fall asleep a little bit in the zone, and they'll give up some easy buckets. And I think the other thing that I saw in this game against Tennessee was was the the reemergence of the time management issues and I know that this has been a pet peeve of mine and a few others that I that I follow on Twitter for for a few years now. Kennedy seems to to take timeouts at weird points. Um, almost like it's a preordained, okay, I've hit the 10-minute mark and I'm just going to take the time out regardless of what the situation is. I don't know why. I don't know if this is just trying to segment the game. I don't know if this is a conditioning deal. But it, it happened against Tennessee. A&M was kind of in, in the heat of the battle. They were they were not looking poorly at, the, at this point in the game with about 10 minutes left. A, a dunk by Nebo. And you know a, a nice a nice play by Nebo, and then all of the sudden there's a timeout, and and I'm sitting here scratching my head. This was the second timeout that A and M had taken in the half, so you now had two timeouts left, and I'm sitting here scratching my head, saying, okay, you've just gotten this thing down to a seven point game, something like that. Um, why I don't I don't understand why he took that timeout. There was no why, why then.
0: Yeah, right, why kill exactly. the momentum that comes from him throwing down a dunk that gets you within a couple of possessions? It it it's odd.
1: Right, right. Yeah, and it, it was odd, and I I just couldn't understand why he took that timeout in that situation. I'm I was really confused. I'm still confused. It's one I'm I struggle with, just because I look at the situation and say it didn't warrant that. There was there was no wild momentum swing. You had actually just scored the bucket. You know that you're in a dogfight. So okay, now i have gone back through and looked at the at the game narrative. A M had actually gotten a dunk to get the game down to a they had, he took the timeout after AM uh Nebo made the dunk to go to get us back to five a five point deficit. Okay. So so AM was was trailing at this point seventy to sixty-five. You're within two possessions of the number one team in the country. You're at home. And here's the kicker. You were already in the bonus with 10 minutes left on the clock. You were in the bonus. Why are you taking a timeout here? There you're going to pick up fouls down the stretch. I I don't understand the this situation. You know that you're trailing. You're going to need you're going to need to have those timeouts in your pocket and sure enough 2 minutes later there's a loose ball on the floor. TJ Starks dives on it. It slams another timeout to avoid the turnover. And all of a sudden you're looking at the final eight and a half minutes with one timeout in your pocket. And that's it.
0: And and that burned us because there were times where you could feel Tennessee turning up the heat in those last eight minutes. And we swallowed that timeout yep. and we let things play out and it spun out of our control a little bit. Exactly. A minute,
1: a minute after that, that timeout was taken, Tennessee went on their run to extend the lead from six points to 13 points. In a, in a in that minute straight it was in it roughly it started a minute after the timeout and it extended you know for about another minute within two minutes they had gotten the lead from six to 13 and at that point they never looked back so that and, was, and a
0: team like Tennessee that's all they need right exactly you, that's you that's news for a, 90 seconds game's over
1: right that was the point where you take the timeout that was where you say okay they got to you know they got to eleven. Let's take the timeout. It's a double digit. I need to calm my guys down. I need to come up with a good possession. So let's get a good bucket here. Let's go with the set play. Let's figure something out. And you handcuffed yourself because you you blew a timeout with ten minutes left after you had just made a bucket. I've watched these things happen over and over, and I fail to understand the logic behind them because it's it's counterintuitive to everything I've seen in terms of game management and time management from a coaching perspective.
0: And the, the rules committee in the off season pulled the timeout from every, from everybody. So it's, you, you have even one less to burn than you did you know last right. year.
1: Right. If you had it's five just, yeah. if you had five, okay, that's that's manageable. I would be okay with that timeout. But now having four, you've got to adjust. And there was no reason to take that one. So just just one of those frustrating things where you felt like a&M at least had a chance coming down the stretch they had they had a chance that maybe if if something broke right you know hey crazy things happen right you you get some momentum you make a couple plays all of a sudden it's a it's a two point game and you know they're they're scratching and clawing it out and you're in double bonus at this point so you know any foul you're going to the line this there were things that could have worked in your favor if you, had, if you had managed the game correctly. I've got nothing to
0: add. Nothing to add. Agreed across the board. Needless mistake.
1: Let's jump in, and uh, I, I want to see what your thoughts are on a few of these young guys.
0: I'd love to, because I want to start with John Walker III, who was a huge surprise for us, so much so that and we've laughed about this off and on throughout the year, so much so that we didn't we didn't include him in our preview episode. I didn't include him in my big GBH preview piece that I do every year. And he worked his way into the rotation, legitimately worked his way into the rotation for the opening two-thirds of the season. He is losing his spot slash has lost his spot on the rotation. He was limited to five very ineffective minutes against LSU. I think he had literally no statistical impact and a minus nine in those five minutes. And then he didn't see the floor against Tennessee. We shortened up the rotation to seven just straight up. No one else saw the floor. He, I like his offensive awareness. He's one of those that does try to find the open man. He'll drive with his head up, something this offense sorely needs. But I think, Blake, I think it's just a matter of the pounding we were taking on the boards with him in the game and the defensive liability he had become down low, I think just overrode any plus he gave you with his ball movement and with his vision. So I don't know if we're going to see him again this year. It might just be one of those things where, you know, hey, kid, put on 10 pounds of muscle and we'll see you next October. Uh, What do you make of this guy?
1: Yeah, I think his defense is what's keeping him off the floor right now. You're right, he he has good offensive awareness, but defensively he's just a disaster. He gets lost, he he's not strong enough to body people up inside. He his footwork's just a step slow. Like I said, he's a defensive liability at this point. So I, I struggle to see where he's going to get serviceable minutes, but that's kind of a scary thing at this point. You want him to continue to, to develop hopefully kennedy will 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 be able to take a chance and play him some more especially with a lower level of competition maybe it's a function of having two top 25 teams come come to town and you're trying to be competitive you're trying to put on a good show for the home fans maybe with some road games maybe with you know a competition that isn't so stout he'll get he'll get to reassert himself back into the rotation
0: Let's stay on that same theme of guys who can offer things on offense, but sometimes struggle on defense. I want to talk about Brandon Mahan. You said you liked what he brought against Tennessee, but we're wondering, can he see the floor?
1: Yeah. uh, Once again, defensive liability. Uh, Here's the thing. I I like Mahan's effort. I like his energy. He just gets lost. He loses his assignment. He'll be watching the entirely wrong guy. And his guy, his man goes on a back cut and is going for a layup and Mahan's standing out by the three point line like where did that come from uh, he just he he gets lost he gets lost in his rotations gets lost in his switches he can be a pretty solid player we've seen him take over some games offensively especially early in the season he has he has a streaky shooting touch you know when he's on he looks great he was on against Tennessee and was 4 for 4 from beyond the arc was a huge lift to the team he, he provided some really critical baskets that kept the game within striking distance, especially early. I think he's got some potential, but once again, it comes down to defense. The good thing is, is his effort is there. It's if he wasn't motivated, if he wasn't interested in playing defense, that's one thing, but the efforts there, he's, he's interested. He wants to be involved. He just, he, it's between the years for him right now. And he's got to focus and he's got to pay attention On the defensive end, and direct that energy in the right way.
0: I agree. He was four for four from beyond the arc against Tennessee. I mean, you literally can't ask for more than that. But even with that, uh, with with him doing that damage, most of which in the first half, he didn't see much time against Tennessee in the second half, which you and I can only assume is a function of his his defense and how he uh, how we had to try to get some stops against Tennessee. I'm of the mindset in a game like that personally i would have made my peace with the fact that i'm not stopping tennessee and i just would have i just would have gunned every weapon i have get get every offensive weapon i have on the floor because i'm not stopping this tennessee team tonight that's how i would have handled it personally i would have given mayhan another 15 minutes in the second half to see hey can that 4 for 4 become 9 for 10 you know how hot is this guy didn't really give him that so um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you. I guess if that's the way our, our coaching staff views his contribution, that 12 to 15 minutes just might be might be his max this year. Um, and let's move on now. I want to talk about your favorite guy this year, Josh Nebo, who just continues to pile up stats week after week.
1: He is my favorite. I, I have become quite the Josh Nebo fan. And, and that's saying something with the way that Wendell Mitchell is playing this year. But you, you know me. I have a soft spot for the big guys inside. I think I think Nebo's phenomenal. I've been really pleased with the offensive evolution of his game. We kind of assumed that he's just he's just an alley oop machine. He's he's actually opened up his offensive game a little bit more. So he's shooting the ball well from the free throw line. He rebounds. He blocks shots. I mean, he does everything this team needs him to do. So I've been really pleased with what he's offered and I'm looking forward to what
0: he, he brings next year as well. He continues his national rankings in certain categories just haven't slipped all year. He's top 15 in the nation and efficiency seventh and field goal percentage fourth and block rate a top 100 rebounder. I mean, c- can't ask for more. I'm just going to put it out there when, when a guy like that transfers in and you're hoping for someone to seamlessly slide in, you can't ask for a better contribution than this. So,
1: and and he did that
0: against Tennessee
1: with, who have two ph- phenomenal talents inside in Williams and, and Schofield so I was I was Really impressed with with the way he maintained.
0: And you mentioned Mitchell. I want to move over to Mitchell slightly because he did have an off game against LSU. Only had two points, and that was one of the contributing factors to us being stuck in the fifties. Uh, had a poor first half against Tennessee. Did turn it on with eighteen in the second half. He was back to his old self. He there's a lot of pressure on this guy now, Blake. For me personally, I think we're we're at a point as we walk into any game against anyone in the SEC. If Mitchell's not playing at or above average, we're not scoring more than 60 points. That's just where we are as an offense. So that's a lot to put on him. But I think that's where we are. I think he's that critical. He can handle it for the most part. His his metrics beyond the arc are phenomenal in conference play. I, I never like to be in a position where you have to have it from a guy. And I think that's where we are with him, where it's a non-starter. If he doesn't give us double-digit points, You know, then I just wonder where on earth is the offense going to come from.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of interesting parallels between... This team and the team that we saw two years ago, when Admon Gilder was having to run the point, and Admon Gilder was your offensive engine, other than mm-hmm. Tyler Davis, you had Tyler on the inside and Admon on the perimeter, and that was it. And you've kind of got that same situation here, where you've got Nebo inside and you've got Mitchell on the perimeter, and that's and and those are your two offensive catalysts. And we'll talk about Starks. You know, everybody would say, or I know many people would say, well, what about Starks? There's I, I I have some I have some points on Starks, but I think Mitchell is really the the offensive catalyst for this team. Right now, he's he's starting to to assert himself more, but he's coming into a situation where he is the new guy. Right? He he's he's the transfer. Starks Starks is the established player. Starks was the guy who everyone kind of expected to be the the driving force behind this team this year. And now Mitchell's kind of supplanting him in this role, but he's also kind of having to tiptoe his way into that role. So he, he has to get a feel for the game. And this is twice we've seen him come on in the second half of a game and really take over. But he'll he'll have a slow start on you because it's it's kind of one of those, I think it's between the years where he's thinking, okay... Am I going to get an opportunity to take this game over or is is TJ going to be dominant with the ball and I'm just going to have to pick my spots?
0: Well, let's talk TJ because he had two very different games this week. Against LSU, he was kind of the the negative Starks who took too many shots and wasn't really looking for his teammates that often. He attempted 10 threes. This coming from statistically, this is not me offering an opinion, statistically one of the worst three-point shooters in the SEC this year shot 10 threes against LSU that's just not what we need from this guy right elny he only made two it was just part of a bit a part part of what was our worst shooting uh, performance from the year from beyond the arc against LSU but he did rein it in against Tennessee he was better he was a distributor he had eight assists against Tennessee to only two turnovers he was 2 for 5 from beyond the arc he was much more judicious in his shot selection and i think i think we saw what he can become if he stops trying to do it all himself i thought it was a tale of two Starkses, basically, and I really liked what I saw against Tennessee. I think we can work with that.
1: Yeah, and I think that, that you you nailed it. You're exactly right. When when TJ Starks is the facilitator, this team elevates to a different level. Um, when when TJ Starks is looking for TJ first, that's when this thing is going to struggle because he yeah. doesn't. He's not efficient enough offensively. To, to drive this this team forward and, 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 and be successful. He'll drive the team forward, but they're not going to be successful because your shooting percentages are going to be through the floor. Um, to this point, this team is in the basement as far as field goal percentage, and a lot of that, and I, I, he's not the only one to blame, but a lot of that does fall on his shoulders. He has taken the vast majority of shots for this team, I like that you're seeing the evolution in his game to become more of a facilitator. We saw this last week. We saw this against K-State when he became the facilitator against K-State. It freed up Mitchell to take over the game offensively, and TJ was actually able to do some things to put Chuck and and the other guys on the floor in some good positions to score. TJ's got he's got the basketball IQ. It's just a matter of getting him going in the right direction and realizing that that he doesn't have to do everything and i think when admon went out tj tj felt like he had to take it over and he had to run he had to run the show and i think hopefully we're seeing the evolution in his game to say okay I don't have to do everything I
0: can rely on these guys I, I trust my teammates to to be able to execute I think that's it I think it's what we've stumbled onto as we talk about these guys back to back is I think that relationship might be one of the most important things to watch develop down the stretch is how do those two play together in an efficient manner so we'll see we'll see if Starks is more willing to give up the shots we'll see if Mitchell's willing to take the load um Honestly, Blake, I really don't have anything else to hit. I know we've we've had a, a good discussion about many of the individuals. I did want to note quickly that the SEC overview is a little bizarre in that only four teams are above five hundred. The uh, so Tennessee, Kentucky, LSU, and South Carolina are above five hundred, and there's a huge log jam of six teams at four and four. Um, I say that to say that we do have a chance to make up some ground if we were to start winning some basketball games. We could conceivably come out of this cellar and maybe maybe not play on the opening night of the sec tournament for me that's the that is the achievable goal that we can look at we're not making conference tournament or we're not making postseason tournament play but the way the sec has broken we could climb out of the bottom four so we have a chance to we have a chance to to make some noise but more importantly with the exception of our trip to lsu we're basically done playing the really good teams, so the, I don't know. That's something to get excited about. That's yeah, something to definitely. Get
1: excited about. I think I think you do have some opportunities. I think that we talked about this at the beginning of SEC play. Our schedule was front loaded, and it was it was going to be tough because it put us in a hole. Well, guess what? We're in a hole. Yep. But you do have some opportunities to make up some ground on the back end.
0: Hopefully, we shouldn't be sitting here talking about games where we never had a chance because the opposition was just that good if we're getting smoked by 15 and 20 over the next two weeks we've got much much larger problems this is the only week where that will be remotely not the worst thing in the world so i don't know it's we'll see what happens blake we'll see what happens
1: well i'm looking forward to hopefully maybe picking up uh, a couple of road wins against old miss and missouri this week
0: i'm looking forward to it as well man i'll talk to you soon hopefully we have some good news to share how do we spin this what is there to talk about i don't know what what do we do what do we do